everybody, and welcome back to the Legal Weekly Wine, where we talk about the week's hottest legal topics. It is the last week of 2023, and we are going to wrap up some of the Trump cases. So we've got updates on the Jack Smith case, um, the D.C. case, as to the rejection by the U.S. Supreme Court of at least a preliminary hearing. Um, We've got his motion in front of the district court. And then we have an update on the Colorado case and the Michigan case in terms of the 14th Amendment and the disqualification, as well as, let's make sure I've got this all right, Christmas Christmas statements by Trump. We're going to throw that in for fun. Um, And a little bit about the Iowa caucuses to end out the year. Um, Welcome, everybody. I'm Virginia Tarani. I'm with Tarani Law LLC, because you never need a lawyer. Tell you do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> and with me, I have Dr. John Vile, um, the Dean of the Honors College for Middle Tennessee State University, who is an expert on the Constitution, the amending process, and constitutional law. Welcome back. Glad to be here. Happy New Year, almost. Yes, Happy New Year to you. And I know you have a special tie for us, so we've we've got to take a look at that. Oh yes, I I, I rarely wear cartoon ties. But cat in the hat somehow seemed appropriate, maybe for the entire year. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe. But it looks fairly cheerful. Uh, That's Trump. Uh, wishing everyone holiday greetings. <laughs> yes. Okay. So we have to take that up first. Um, we we heard a message of peace, goodwill toward men, right? And rotting in hell. Yes. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. You know, a little bit of holiday cheer. Um, <laughs> so. You know what it reminds me of? One of the one of the lesser known facts about the Bible, which I've written about, if you know. Yes. There are so-called, and I may be mispronouncing it, but imprecatory psalms, which are psalms where the psalmist, often David, sort of curses his enemies. Uh, In one case, they wish that the the baby's heads would be hit up against the stone, you know? Oh, goodness! (laughs) It's... You know, he just pours his soul out to God. Why is everybody against me? I wish you'd go after him, whatever. Now, in fairness, often it seems unlikely that he carried out these. (laughs) He's just being very honest with God. But it sounds like the kind of thing that he might say in passing. You know, may all my enemies rot in hell. Uh, as I, you know, as I lead Jerusalem. Oh goodness! Um, but it, it was it was one of the more unusual holiday greetings it, that it, I had seen. It was. Now, I mean, I know there's the question of is it is it rotten hell or is it burn? But you know, yeah. I, either one. You do wonder. Do you think? Do you think? Was this Christmas morning? Do you think he woke up and ran in to get the present? You know, opened the stockings and there was coal in them. Maybe you know, there was a piece of coal from Jack Smith, and then there was another piece <laughs> of coal by Carol, and then there's another piece of coal by the uh, the election officials in Georgia. Oh my goodness! Right? I think maybe you know maybe that just set him off a bit. That, that would be discouraging, you know, to especially to be a billionaire and then find coal in your stockings. Yes, very so, much so. Joy anyway. to the world. Yeah, joy to the world, right? And peace, and peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. <laughs> Once we get rid of all the people who are going to rot in hell, it'll be very peaceful. Yes, very, very peaceful. Um, so, yes, you know, and, and that leads us, we, we always have to tie it into something legal, and, and I'm going to tie it into our First Amendment, um, oh, the yeah. freedom of speech. He does have as unsavory as his comments may be. Um, he does have the right to say them, and many people agree with him. Um, and, and, you know, he's not the first. That one, right. one of my, I don't know why, but one of my favorite politicians to read about is a guy named um, John Randolph, uh, not to be confused with Edmund Randolph at the Constitutional Convention. But this, this was a guy who was known as a very tall figure, uh, beardless, it turns out, which oh. a lot of people made fun of. Uh, he would often carry a whip, uh, and he would bring dogs into the in, into Congress. And oh he was known for skewering opponents uh, with the word, with, right? Not yeah, not, yes, okay. <laughs> uh, with, with, with right with with, <laughs> with with language that was often racist or 
commented on their masculinity or uh, whatever. Um, But what's fascinating is, well, one of the fascinating things is that he he ultimately turned against slavery, which is highly unusual for a Virginia plantation owner. But the other thing was that he took a trip to England and they all followed him around like puppy dogs because he was such a colorful figure. He reminded them, I think, sometimes of maybe the some of the English aristocracy. And it's like, okay, they had this in America too. Oh, that's funny. Um, But I I don't know, you know, instead of, this might actually be better. The allegation, which I have no idea whether it's true or not, is is that Trump has, someone gave him the speeches of Adolf Hitler, which are are by his bedside, you know, along with the Bible reading every night, reading that and the art of success. Um, Okay, I'm off, I just got off topic here. Oh. oh, it seemed like it was headed in a great direction. Right. You're right. It, it was. It's in, in, Maybe instead of reading the speeches of Adolf Hitler, uh, he should read the speeches of John Randolph. Uh, uh, it might, might provide a further More invective. colorful language. Yes. Further invectives that he might be able to use throughout the new year. But I guess all of us have felt that way at times, right? Absolutely. Uh, that's the danger maybe of being a public figure is you say something and uh, next thing you know, it's like, well, that wasn't very nice. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Um, yes, but yeah, with Israel and Ukraine and and everywhere else, it just seems like a little bit of peace would have been. I think peace and goodwill a, would be. a better, comforting, more hopeful. Probably so. A hopeful message for the Christmas time. Yes. Um, Okay, so let's talk about another First Amendment issue. Um, You and I have been following, (laughs) clearly been following all of the Trump cases this year, because as much as I would love to cover other things, and we have, um, he keeps popping up in the legal news, um, not just the political news. And especially this year, we've dealt a lot with the First Amendment. Um, What does he have the right to say When does he have the right to say it? Where does he have the right to say it? And just at the end for, you know, the end of this year, I got to love it as an attorney for all of these motions being filed at the end. um, Jack Smith just filed a a doozy of one. Um, He filed a a motion in limine for the D.C. criminal case against Trump. You and I know, but I had to relook it up just to make sure. Tell us what in lemonade means. That that is a good question. Um, I I know the practical terms for it. I don't know if I actually know the Latin meaning. Um, but technically, what it the practically how it works is that it's a, a pretrial motion um, where you bring it before the court before the jury is you know right. is seated before the trial is actually begun to say I want this excluded before trial, so there's no risk of it coming during trial where it would improperly prejudice the jury. Um, Whether it's, you know, evidence that should be excluded by hearsay, by speculation, if it's known. Illegal search or seizure, right. Definitely so. Fourth and Fifth Amendment violations, um, Sixth Amendment violations, so search and seizure, right to counsel. um, Those violations would absolutely be motions in limine, motions to suppress, but motions brought before the trial to find out what's going to be excluded. And and by and large, these are, it's not a clear distinction always, but these are matters of law rather than matters of fact. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So so the judge, is, there are certain matters that the judge has to decide as to what's legally admissible or not. Exactly. Then given those facts that are permitted to enter, then the juries are supposed to make their judgment based on the facts rather than hearsay or speculation or anything else. Yes, exactly. So what we're getting in this motion, this is one of the pretrial motions that Jack Smith has just filed. And he's trying to prevent, in in my opinion, he's trying to prevent the show that happened through the New York fraud trial. 
um, where Trump got on this, you know, stand at even just a, the limited portion that he was called regarding the contempt issue and outside of the courtroom and through the, the attorneys where they continued to make it almost a political statement right. um, to, to say, you know, this is happening to me. They're vindictive. This is the, you know, Biden administration going on where Jack Smith is saying, look, this has no place in a courtroom with a jury. For right. a judge trial, um, and what is often actually praised to the judge in the New York case, there are many things that have not been praised about him and the way that his case has gone. But in one praise, it has been, well, he's just let a lot of it go, is how right. they're phrasing it. He's let a lot of things into evidence that normally never would have gotten into evidence. Because be presumably, as a judge, he can distinguish under the rules, what's relevant and what's irrelevant exactly. in a way that a juror might not be able to do. Not yes. not because they're they're ignorant, but simply they don't know what the rules uh, of evidence would be. Right. And that's one of the reasons as an attorney, we're taught the rules of evidence is because it's almost like speaking a foreign language. You cannot go into a courtroom and just say whatever you want to say by any witness or any defendant or victim. And if it's a civil case, it's not a platform to simply speak. But unlike just a First Amendment issue where you have the right to speak, this is limited. And it's limited by the federal rules of evidence in this case because it's a federal courtroom. And specifically, I, I think you and I have pinpointed several ones that come into play, especially relevancy, 401, 403, which is relevant evidence is curtailed by the risk of unfair prejudice. Right. as well as some hearsay and speculation. So these are terms that attorneys are used to, um, where the public may say, look, you know, let it all in, whatever Trump wants to say. And, you know, this is a, tr you know, a corrupt political process. He should be allowed to say whatever he wants. He should be allowed to say that this is vindictive, that the um, everyone's out to get him and, and put in his theories. But what Jack Smith is saying is for this jury trial, like you said, Dr. Vile, for this jury trial, they are not familiar with the rules of evidence. And not that they're ignorant, not that they can't understand, but a jury is much more at risk for unfair prejudice. And I love the way that the rules broken down. But before we do that, um, I'd love to, to break down exactly what he is asking to be excluded okay. from the court. Um, now, what can you remember? Well, I mean, he's he's not from. Well, let's be careful. Mm -hmm. Some of this evidence, it's not so much that he couldn't make the argument if he has an argument to make. Yes, it's that he cannot make unfounded assertions such as Jack Smith is in cahoots with Joe Biden. Right. Uh, there's no evidence of that. Uh, that. The actions that took place on January the 6th were result, the result of foreign, they, they were generated yes. by foreign actors, or that they were um, provoked by yes. inside, you know, by governmental agents. Exactly. Or one of the most fascinating and the one that Smith has just has tremendous fun with is the notion that. Um, some of the actions. Okay, help me out here again. This, yeah, I, I, I know exactly which one because yeah, legally, I know you do because I, then why can't I? I got so excited. N not <laughs> who cares one way or the other which way it goes for me, but the language was exciting and it was a very clever argument where he's saying, okay, they should not be allowed to say that this was the result of. A failure of law enforcement. Right. Um, this is the result of Muriel, Mayor Muriel Bowser's actions, um, that he shouldn't be allowed to claim either of those things in court. And his, we have to get his statement. It's, it's hilarious. And, and honestly, I have to agree with him because he said, a bank robber cannot defend himself by blaming the bank security guard for failing to stop him. 
A fraud defendant cannot claim to the jury that the victim should have known better than to fall for his scheme, and the defendant cannot argue that the law enforcement should have prevented the violence he caused and obstruction he intended. Very clever arguments. It is. Now, now again, that doesn't mean that he has yet successfully proved these himself. Correct. Just as Trump and the defense has, has arguments or, or evidence, so does Jack Smith. So he, at this point, he has not proven that Trump incited the riot on, on January 6th. But if, if he does, he has to do it through evidence. Yes. Not through assertion. Not through, well, I heard, you know, I heard on Fox News or wherever uh, that foreign actors were involved, or I believe there were provocateurs in the crowd. Uh, If any of these things can be proved, they might go to mitigate some of the responsibility. Uh, But if you participated or you yourself have had a role in inciting, it's not going to exonerate you. Right. And that that's like a self-defense claim is you a self-defense claim doesn't work if you provoked it. Right. If you started the fight, then you can't then claim self-defense. And, and, and we had some good we were talking a day or two ago and we had some great examples about the what you sometimes see in a, in movies mm-hmm. about the twin defense. Oh yes. Uh, as a twin, I know you appreciate this, right? I do. If, if you're a defense attorney, you don't have any business saying, well, maybe it's somebody's twin if they're not, in fact, a twin. You would first have to have the evidence. You would have to have in evidence the fact that there is particularly an identical twin out there right. with the same motive, means, and opportunity as you would have. Exactly. There and, has and to be a had, modicum know, of truth. And I, I, I know you have the advantage that I haven't had, which is you've actually been able to argue in a courtroom. Uh, and I know one of your favorite cases— mm-hmm. Uh, involved a case where was it a police officer? Yes. Kept referring to an individual as what? The victim. As the victim, and evidence had not yet established that the person was a victim. Exactly. And so what was what was the result in that case? Yeah. So it, it was interesting. I know you hate to talk about it. Oh, but. I I do. I hate to. <laughs> it honestly, it was, and you've heard me say this before. It was probably the case of a lifetime for me. Um, it happened within my first three years of practice. So, it, you know, everything was downhill from there. Uh, but <laughs> Wait, don't tell that. Remember, you never need a lawyer. I'm a great you attorney. Do. You don't want one on the, de- on the decline. <laughs> right. Uh, just waiting for the next one. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, normally it's not a problem to, for a police officer to come in and say in a prosecution, the victim. Right. If, if there's a homicide, there's clearly a victim. If there's a fraud, there's clearly a victim. But in this case, and I haven't done a lot of rape cases on the defense. Honestly, I think this was the only one. And I truly believed the innocence of, of my individual, my defendant. Um, but our claim was, OK, yes, there were sexual relations, um, but it wasn't, you know, and, and a lot of people are it's like, oh, it's consent. Right? Um, but this one, I again, I truly believed it. And what the prosecution was doing was saying, oh, the victim, you know, we spoke with the victim and I made a motion in limine before court saying, look, we have to have it established that there was even a crime. And if it wasn't a crime, there's not a victim. Um, So we can certainly say the witness, the individual, this person, um, she, her, whatever, you know, word we want to use to describe her, the, you know, one of the individuals involved in the incident. But by calling her, her a victim, we are prejudicing the jury for them to believe that there is a victim. And maybe they can prove that there is one, but the jury should determine. And sure enough, the judge agreed and prevented that there was a rule beforehand of tell all your witnesses. You cannot bring in any word of victim. You cannot say victim. And the detective in this case got on the stand and continued to use the word. And by the third time that he'd used it, the judge in front of the jury admonished him you know, very sternly of, you know, you cannot use this word and even used my argument. We have not determined it is up for the jury to decide if she's a victim. Use that word one more time and there will be consequences. And sure enough, the fourth time it was used, the judge stood 
On the bench, he stood and he pointed and he said, get out of my courtroom. You have failed to obey a proper order of this court. Your entire testimony is stricken. Well. And it was gone. <laughs> uh, the entire thing. Who keeps out of detective statements? And, and it was gone. We, we won the case. Ultimately, he was found not guilty of all of all charges, it was a monumental case, and there were so many other fun things with, with that case, evidentiary-wise. But it reminds me of this one for Jack Smith. Uh, he's saying, okay, before we even talk about a victim, let's, you know, before and, we and talk so about this. let's take it a little bit farther then. Yes. So if, if Smith, and, and I don't know if Trump's had an occasion yet to respond to this. I mean, I know publicly he said, he has a First Amendment right, and exactly. we've already discussed how how we don't, you know, you don't have a right, you have a right to make these allegations in a public forum, but yes. you don't necessarily have the same right to present them in court. Correct. But let's say it does go to court. Uh, we don't know that Trump would take the stand, but let's say that he takes the stand and he does begin to say some of these. So what would the typical remedy would be for a judge to admonish the witness to stop and urge the jurors to exclude it? Yeah, the the first order of business is to to do a limiting instruction right. to the jury right. where they say, you know, Mr. Witness, we have had a ruling that you can't see this. I'm asking you not to say this. And then they'll turn to the jury. You know, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, this statement has been made. It is not supposed to be make, made. You're supposed to disregard it. Right. Um, but in this case, I honestly don't know if we'd be able to get there because what Jack Smith is arguing is that it is so prejudicial that if we hear of it at all, a limiting instruction may not be enough. Right. You may not be able to say to the jury, just disregard this because it is so highly inflammatory and it is so political in nature that you may be relying on whether the person is an an independent, a Republican, a Democrat, or, you know, their likes or dislikes of public figures yeah, the, and political figures. The voir dire figures. in these cases uh, is going to be extraordinary. You know, voir dire is, is, is as we know, it, it's a process of deciding who's going to be on the jury. Yes. And typically, you know, during the selection process, attorneys can make unlimited objections for calls. Yes. Uh, you can't have Donald Trump's daughter there or his wife or a business associate. Uh, you can't have someone who is given speeches for or against Trump there. Correct. Um, but you also have what are known as peremptory challenges, which are basically sort of based on hunches. Yes. Now, they cannot be based on race. Uh, they cannot be, I don't believe they can be based Ethnicity. on sex. Um, ethnicity. Right. They, yes, it depends. Um, definitely but, race and ethnicity. Um, the the gender is kind of iffy. Generally, it's not supposed to be. Um, it's known as a bats in charge, as you can say, yes. that they're improperly being excluded based on race right. um, or other but, discriminatory. But otherwise, factors. they're basically based on hunches. Correct. And they may very well, I mean, I can see both sides attempting to make, you know, Trump is going to try to get people that he thinks are MAGA people. Yes. And the prosecutor is going to want to avoid MAGA people. Mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily anyone who's ever voted for Trump. Right. But anyone who, you know, just seems seems like the kind of person who would not weigh evidence fairly either for or against Trump. And, you know, yeah. don't be surprised if if the jury selection itself takes, you know, weeks or days. And it as weeks. you know, some of the some of the arguments right now for, you know, Mark Meadows' mm -hmm. argument, as I understand it, for that that he that he lost to have the Georgia case against him, the case of Georgia election moved to DC. Right. was on the basis that he thought he would have a, or a federal court, he thought he would have a better choice of jurors there than he might in the state of Georgia. Yeah. Uh, and it could work, I mean, it could work both ways. It's going to be hard to find a fair and impartial jury. 
um, anywhere, but especially in D.C., it's going to be hard to find someone who doesn't have a strong political opinion regarding any of the characters. So you can say, okay, look, this isn't involving politics. This is involving the person and whether they committed a crime. But with Trump, it's so hard throughout the country to divorce your ideas of the person, of the politics, of the political party from what's happening that it, it feels like it's an impossible journey to find any juror. You you want somebody who's you know been away in a foreign country and hasn't heard anything for the last three years. Yeah, you, you wonder about you know if if someone literally has no opinion about Donald Trump, you wonder if they've ever cracked a newspaper, right? Or or listened to nightly news, right? Uh, it would be hard not to have an opinion for or against, uh, and maybe mixed emotions. You exactly. Know, based on on. So you to know, find them, yeah, go ahead. Well, what's fascinating about Trump from a political standpoint is you just think in the last couple years, well, last couple decades, how many defeated candidates mm-hmm. for president have remained in the limelight? There's more about Trump on the right. news than there is about Biden, and Biden happens to be the one who's president, president, even mm-hmm. though Trump might want to deny it. Right. Um, and so it's it's going to be hard uh, to, to choose an, an unbiased jury. It will be. And so once they get an unbiased or allegedly unbiased jury, as unbiased as possible, then the idea is, well, if they aren't biased yet, by even having right. Trump or another witness say these things, they would be making an unfair bias that can't be undone. And the monumental task of a mistrial and choosing another jury is is crazy. But honestly, with the delay tactics that Trump's team has been taking, it would not surprise me if they just happen to mention something that's excluded. Whether, you know, I'm not saying all of these things would be excluded, but if something were to be excluded, it wouldn't surprise me if it still comes in and, oh, there's a mistrial. And I hate to be implying something improper. Um, well, but who would, but but you think Trump's, Trump's people would not be the ones who could ask for a mistrial in a case where they, where they exceeded the limits, could they? Well... <laughs> But Smith would have to decide. Smith would have to do it. Um, And in this case, it's not so much that I fear the attorneys themselves as to if Trump testifies, that honestly, that he's such a loose cannon in testimony that he may go off on this. And then it would have to be Jack Smith who says, okay, we're asking for a mistrial because these statements are in front of the jury. They weren't supposed to be. Now there's unfair prejudice. We can't walk this back. No limiting instruction that we could possibly give will have the jury disregard it. And there has to be some modicum of truth. So in my mind, what would have to, if Trump wants to say, um, so Jack Smith, and I'm backing it up so I can, can make sure we've said the exact word. So Jack Smith is asking that he be prevented from saying things about the prosecution being selective and vindictive that it's been initiated or coordinated with the Biden administration, um, the poor law enforcement, violence stirred by what you were saying, foreign sources or provoked by undercover agents. And under Rule 401, for the rules of evidence, we have it has to be relevant. Um, And Trump can say, you know, look, it's whether I caused this or, you know, actually committed a crime is based on, well, these other people did it. Right. I didn't do it. These other people did. Well, it could be a solid defense. So I think they might be able to pass a strict, basic relevancy argument. The question is Rule 403, which says that you cannot, even if it's relevant, you cannot admit it if it is unfairly prejudicial, if it is more prejudicial than probative. And the language of this rule, I like this because it says the court may exclude relevant evidence if its probative value is substantially outweighed by a danger of one of more of the following. And in this case, it's not just unfair prejudice. So you've got unfair prejudice. You've got confusing the issues, misleading the jury 
wasting time or necessarily presenting cumulative evidence. But I think in this case, it's the issue of unfair prejudice, confusing, confusing the issues or misleading the jury. And if Trump can't produce evidence to prove that there are foreign individuals who, you know, interfered or there were undercover agents, he can say, you know, and Jack Smith is saying he can say it in the public, you know, they have a right to believe or disbelieve him. But in court, there has to be this underlying modicum of truth. And it would not surprise me if there is an offer of proof or a request for an offer of proof where the judge says, okay, I agree with, you know, Mr. Smith, where if these are not supported, then they shouldn't be allowed. You can't just make up the twin defense. You know, if there is right. no twin, you shouldn't be asked about a twin. Um, if there is no foreign influence, you should not be allowed to create an, in, you know, an inference of a, of a foreign influence. So it would behoove Trump's team where of all of the times for him and Giuliani to be saying, we're going to prove, right? How many times have we heard that? There's going to be 100% proof. Well, and in Giuliani's case, at the end of the trial, now he said this to the public rather than to the jury. Right. But at the end of the trial, he says, we didn't have a chance to, to put up our defense. He didn't take the stand, probably Correct. wisely. Uh, right. But you can't you can't not take the stand and then say, well, we weren't treated fairly because we didn't get the, didn't didn't get a chance to speak. Right, and he's like, I'll be exonerated with the truth, with the facts. Well, this and I'm sorry about my dogs, um, but this would be the time, at least in a preliminary offer of proof before a judge prior to the the court trial by saying, okay, here's the evidence that we do have that would show foreign interference, right. that would prove undercover agents, um, that would show that this is selective and vindictive prosecution. And if the judge were to say, and this is, it's called conditional relevance, right. that it could be permitted if there's enough evidence behind it. And if he can prove, if he can finally step forward with this allegation of truth right. and prove any of these defenses, at least to a judge legally beforehand, then the judge can say, okay, at least there's a modicum of relevant. truth. Right. That and would it, be relevant. It would be relevant, and it's not necessarily unfairly prejudicial because it appears that they would have this witness to prove this and okay. another witness to prove this other fact. But if they're just grasping at straws, so to speak, if they're just making it up um, in hopes that someone will be convinced by it, well, let the public deal with that, but a jury shouldn't be. Okay. So, and I think one of the problems is I think and this is true of both right and left, there are a lot of people in the United States who have all kinds of conspiracy theories yes. about the government's out to get them or, you know, if we only knew, I mean, everything from UFO sightings know. to, um, I mean, you name it, there's a conspiracy theory out there. Right. And some of them, you know, I guess some of them could, could ultimately be, be proven true. Um, but in a court of law, you can't you can't just advance a theory without, or you shouldn't be allowed to advance a theory without any evidence to back it up. Right. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, the appeal from the Colorado decision Absolutely. and the Michigan decisions because I think they're both very important. Uh, should we start with uh, Colorado? Yes, let's start with Colorado. Because that's another, is it, let's see, is this a Jack Smith motion or not? No, it is not. So the Jack okay. Smith motion was rejected, not rejected in terms of it. Was, there was an opinion about it, but the court, the Supreme Court refused to hear, um, to advance the case above and beyond right. now, this the is, Court of Appeals. This is the immunity case, right? Correct. So what happened is that the lower court, district court for DC, I believe, right? Yes. Decided that Trump was not immune. Did, right. Did not have immunity for criminal uh, prosecution. Correct. What for acts that he committed while in office. Now Correct. Trump has subsequently filed a fairly repetitive I don't know that that he's advanced the case much beyond what it what it was prior to that, but he has he has since file file objection to this, just saying that no, Correct. he's 
anything within the outer perimeter of his office is is immune. While now, he was in office, right. right. Part of the question is, you know, is it within the outer limits of the office? The in the in the lower court, the argument that the government had made is they had tried to distinguish Trump's official acts mm-hmm. from his campaign acts. Correct. And in fact, uh, in another case. Uh, Trump himself had argued that he had done things as a campaigner rather than as president. And now they're saying, well, you can't have it both ways. Right. But essentially, the the district court ruled that he didn't have immunity. Um, and Smith and Trump wanted to Trump wanted to challenge this. And Smith wanted the U.S. Supreme Court to bypass the circuit court. Correct. To and, jump over it. Right. And sent a, uh, an appeal to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court fairly summarily said, "No, uh, we're going to wait." Right. Uh, to, and in in the favor of the Supreme Court, one might one might think that you would develop arguments a little bit farther or further in in if you had not just one court decision not just right. a district court but also had an appellate court now what makes this dicey for smith is he's aiming for a prosecution that begins in, in march. march which would be yeah. maybe after the republicans have already chosen their nominee which might right. may or may not be trump and certainly would be before the election and trump of course would hope that you would defer any of these decisions until, oh, his argument is if, you know, if he's at trial, then he, it's unfair because he won't be able to campaign. Right. And some believe, and and it's hard to know, I, I think Trump has denied this, but if Trump is in office, he would almost surely claim at the least that he could not be imprisoned uh, maybe even fine while he is in office, it would detract from his job. And as we've talked about before, the Constitution is silent on the matter. I, I think as a matter of legal principle, a person should not be able to pardon themselves. But the Constitution doesn't prohibit doesn't a president from pardoning himself. So to some extent, you have you have a political and a legal thing happening here at once. If If Trump can postpone any trials until after he becomes president, he would almost surely say it's not proper to uh, adjudicate these while I'm dealing with office, dealing with matters of national and world importance. Exactly. Uh, And might even be, you know, and then beyond that, he might be able to, he is the chief executive officer. He might be able to fire Jack Smith. Right. uh, Or, or anyone else. Uh, he is special counsel. He's yeah, specially one of, designed. Know, one of the fascinating things about the whole political situation right now is that Trump Trump basically has said that if he's in office, he's going to get vengeance. Right. Uh, he's going to act politically. And in the meantime, he's saying, essentially, everybody's acting politically against me, so I'm going to get back with them politically. Right. So. He acts politically and then essentially says everybody else must be acting politically, too. So this is unfair. It's a right. really, really fascinating kind of development. But now, the, as I understand it, the, the appellate court has set arguments for early January. January 6th or 9th. Right. It's, and, it's coming up. And there are cases where a circuit court has turned a decision around within a week or two. Right. Uh, but it's probably far more common to take a month or two. Correct. And in the meantime, the trial aspects are suspended until this issue is resolved. And I guess that makes some sense. If, it does. If the president is, if Trump is immune, uh, then no reason for the trial to go forward. Right. Let's not waste um, the time and the resources. So then, of course, but let's say even that the dis- if the appellate court makes a quick decision, then it would still take a month or two or three or more to appeal it. Well, it wouldn't take it long to appeal it. It can go back to the Supreme Court. But right. Then you, would, then you would have an occasion to go to the Supreme Court 
But the Supreme Court could simply refuse to hear the case. They don't have to take it. Which would leave whatever the circuit court opinion is in place. Correct. So we could end up with it. And but but this is such a consequential issue. You know, can a president be criminally tried for something that he did in office? And I think I think the answer is absolutely. I think the answer is no person is above the law, including including and maybe especially a president who's in charge to enforce the law. Right. We have to be especially wary of prosecution, or, or I'm sorry, of, of, of Ill, uh, illegal actions by a president, but that should be balanced against, we want some guidelines in place to prevent what Trump is saying is happening, political right. prosecutions. Uh, and th- this is what worries me now, we're gonna, I'm going to wander just a little bit, but this is what worries me about the and I don't know what they are even calling it right now, because it's not a formal, I guess it's a formal impeachment inquiry that the House of Representatives has brought against Biden. It appears to be based on, much like 403, there doesn't seem to be a lot of direct, lots of evidence that Hunter Biden uh, may have broken the law and, and whatever, but there. As far as I can tell, there's not evidence on the record yet that this has involved his father. Right. And it seems like it's a, it's a fishing expedition, which is basically motivated by the fact that largely Democrats twice impeached Trump. We're going to get back. We're going to do it again. Democrat. Mm-hmm. And, you did it you know, to us. We'll do it to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and impeachment, impeachment really should be more a legal than a political issue, you know, Impeachment should not be done on a whim. They should right. not be done because you disagree with the policies of a president. And, you know, we, we know in early America, we didn't have the first, impe- we didn't have an impeachment until almost 100 years after the Constitution. Mm. The 1860s, Andrew Johnson was the first president to be impeached. And then we went another you know, we would have impeached Nixon, Nixon. had he not resigned. hundred years you go later. All the way to Clinton, you go another more than a hundred years. Um, and one one of the fascinating things about the argument that Trump's attorneys have made in terms of presidential immunity in their latest brief is they say clearly a president wasn't intended to be prosecuted for things he did in office because we've never done it before. Right. Uh, if we went 200 years without ever indicting a president for past actions, this would suggest, according to Trump's attorneys, that it was never intended that this would be done. Now, the other explanation would be that we have never before had a president do these who engaged things. in illegal activity, criminal activities while he was in office. And the one exception there might be Richard Nixon, right. uh, who was given a retroactive pardon for anything that he may have done uh, while in office. So we never really resolved the issue then. Although, you know, in U.S. versus Nixon, we do have a case where the court has said that in any matters that involve criminal activity by a president or his subordinates, that juries, ha- jurors, grand jurors have a right to evidence. Subpoena and in this the case, evidence. It was it, it was to tape. So that that precedent, although it dealt with, it, it didn't deal directly with criminal whether Nixon was guilty of a criminal <laughs> offense. It related to evidence gathering for possible criminal offenses. And honestly, I I like that example because the other thing that's very similar in this case to the Nixon case is it was related to campaign activities. Watergate was related to political campaign. Right. It was a break in of his political, the offices that, well, and, but the criminal activities was was also related to cover up. Correct, and but it was it, ultimately know, based around right. campaign, um, yes. political parties in the campaign. So actions that occurred 
because of the campaign and cover up of what was happening with the campaign. And we have a similar thing here as the allegations are, this isn't so much his presidential activities as it is the campaign activities. And if they're criminally motivated or if there are criminal things happening, actions being done, then maybe that, I mean, that is the only precedent so far is the Nixon case. Uh, Right. And, and again, how do you interpret the lack of precedence? Mm-hmm. I would just say, I, I, I mean, I, I try. We we have had corrupt administrations, right? Absolutely, uh, Grant, uh, Harding, but in neither case does it appear that the that the presidents themselves, you know, they chose bad advisors. Right. Uh, they had people who took advantage of the positions, the appointment power that they had. But I can't really think of a president in our history that we believe committed criminal activities while in office. Right. Um, so, and the, the other of- insurrection or rebellion that's been ever alleged in our history was the Civil War. Well, that's right. Uh, well, you're going to say the the you know the only time the U.S. Capitol has ever been invaded, other than 2000. Uh, 21 was back in the War of 1812. Well, there's that. Right. There's that. It wasn't even even invaded during the Civil War. Right. Well, that's right. That's right. Right. So, yeah, of where the seat of government is and what happens to the seat of government. Um, So, yes, they are issues of first impression. Um, I I happen to think that the once the D.C. Circuit, the the Court of Appeals um, for D.C., finishes its review and makes it its decision, I believe the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, will take it up. Um, how quickly? I don't know. But I like your idea of, oh, well, maybe it's not a foregone conclusion that they will. They don't have to accept it just because it's appealed in the proper procedural placement um, doesn't mean they have to, to think, accept it. Can you think historically, is there an issue of that momentous momentousness that the Supreme Court has simply allowed the lower court decision to stand. stand. There surely must be. There would have to be, but I can't think of one that, offhand. That momentous. I mean, you, you would think, you know, Supreme Court, you would think that they would want to settle this issue. And, it, I mean, what would be fascinating is if this course gets to the Supreme Court, if the case gets to the Supreme Court, how how will the justices divide? Right. Now, the, the best thing to do, maybe either way, would to do, do a brief concur- per curiam opinion with, you know, basically a statement of fact and one or two reasons and, and just leave it at that. And be that. done with it. Right. Right. And, you know, in U.S. versus Nixon, I, I believe I'm right on this, you had an eight to zero vote. Um <laughs> uh, Justice Rehnquist recused recused because he had been in the Nixon administration, but three of the other eight had been Nixon appointees and all of them went against the president on the issue of the tapes. And, you know, certainly, certainly the, the court is generally thought to its decisions are thought to have greater weight Often, if the chief justice writes the opinion, sure. But particularly, and, and chief justices tend to grab, at least the ones where they're in the majority, uh, grab grab those cases uh, for themselves. But also, the more the closer they get to unanimity, you know, if it's a five, and in fact, in the Nixon case, I hate to acknowledge still remembering this, but Nixon had said that he would adhere to a definitive court decision, which many people took to mean if this is a 5-4 or maybe even a 6-3 opinion. He wouldn't. Nixon, who, by the way, was an attorney and a fairly accomplished attorney at that, um, that he might not, he might say, well, yeah, five justices, but in a matter of, of, of this weight, uh, I, I'm 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 going to respect. You know, I'm a lawyer myself. I'm going to respect the the four that ruled otherwise. So there there would be tremendous pressure. You know, if you're John Roberts, I don't know if you're looking forward to this or dreading it. Right. Uh, 
And you know, it's part of what happened with the with the with the Dobbs case, right? Yes. You end up with a five five to four decision. Yes. Uh, and all three of Trump's appointees are on the same side, and right. one of them, at least one of them, uh, was appointed at the last minute. Right. Um, so it it casts, you know, it makes it no less law of the land, but. It makes it less, you know. It makes it makes challenges more likely uh, if the courts this evenly split on the basic issue. Maybe maybe we can, uh, you know, persuade one of the justices to join the other side. Right. And so so they have that possible case coming. They're now getting the appeal from Colorado regarding yes. the Fourteenth Amendment disqualification clause, right. where. Colorado Supreme Court says, yes, Trump's disqualified. And now Trump is appealing to the Supreme Court on that issue. Right. And in the meantime, you have a decision from Michigan, right? Yes, Michigan. Okay. In which Michigan says we're, so Colorado has said, although they have not enjoined, what's it called? Stayed the order. Colorado has said, he can't be on the Republican ballot. Right. For Michigan, the primaries. Right. Primary ballot. Michigan has said, uh, under our state laws, the Secretary of State has no right to interfere at the primary stage. Right. So, but part of what's happening here is that the laws of the two states differ. Yes. So Colorado and and the justices in the Colorado case made a point of saying we have laws that affect placement on both primary and general election ballots. Not every state does. Right. So and and then, you know, this is a question of federalism. Are we as a country, are we are we okay with allowing some states to include and others to exclude someone from right. the ballot, or should there be a singular, uh, single national rule? And again, I don't know. I, I can make an argument actually for either case, um, which is why it's why the Supreme Court they say the cases it gets are all hard, right? Because yes. they wouldn't have gotten to the Supreme Court for the most part unless they were, you know, if it were a simple matter of yay and nay, they just take care of it. Exactly. These are consequential issues, uh, and we can only wait with bated breath. We can. Uh, see how the courts might decide. We've got an interesting year, um, politically and legally, coming up, yes. and it's hard to pull them apart. They're inextricably intertwined right now. Um, and I believe that, you know, within January through March, we're going to be getting possibly other state decisions. With regard well, to the course, 14th you know, Amendment. Next month, uh, early in the year, we get our first caucus. We do, uh, the Iowa caucus. Iowa, uh, shortly followed by, you know, prim- by, by primaries in New Hampshire and elsewhere. And, <clears throat> you know, I can still remember, and again, I'm going to date myself, but back in 1970, probably 1970, I had my first course in American politics. Mm. And... I can remember a lecture in which one of the we, we an invited lecturer came in and argued that the primary system uh, was not was not democratic. And I think, what you know, you're letting the people decide. Right. And he made a good argument, which applies, by the way, even more to caucuses, that the individuals who will give up a night of their life to go into an you know go into an arena. And meet with people who have radically different views of your own and sort out who's going to be your nominee. Right. They, God bless them for taking that interest, but they are not necessarily representative of the party as a whole. Right. Nor are they necessarily representative of the United States, uh, United States voters as a whole. And so, and this happens, by the way, in both parties. Republicans tend to be. Republican activists tend to be much more conservative than the average Republican. Right. And Democratic activists tend to be much more liberal than the average Democrat. And so 
the the nomination process, you may win your party's nomination right. and then lose the general election. And this can happen on, on either side and, and in either political direction. Exactly. So, wow. We have all of those coming up. So somehow or another... There will and a be happy decisions. new year. Yes. And good and a, cheer. <laughs> happy new year. <laughs> peace all. on earth. <laughs> peace on earth. Good Goodwill well. toward all. by the way, I didn't get to introduce uh, my weekly wine. I know. Likewise. Uh, uh, caffeinated. Yes. Uh, we are for reasons that I don't quite understand. We're an all Pepsi campus. Oh. Uh, they do not They do not prohibit me from bringing <laughs> other polos. <laughs> On campus, but I cannot purchase anything on campus. Oh, other interesting. And so that is my uh, that is my weekly wine. Your your drink of choice. Um, so my weekly wine. We actually last week we had the wassail, and I did it heated. This week I have um, done the same Sweetland Cellars um, spiced wassail. This week I have done it as they suggested as their alternative measure or means of imbibement is through almost like a sangria. So this week I have chilled it and we're going to see if there's much difference between or which I like. And clearly there's a difference in hot or cold, <laughs> but you know, which, which will be more flavorful or more um, appealing to my taste buds as to whether it's hot or cold. So cheers for the legal weekly wine. I prefer it cold. I actually prefer it chilled. So that's my taste buds, but it's good. It's New Year. Um, the chilled. What's the fruit? Um, that's a good question. Grapes, the, I guess. I mean, well, clearly it's it would have to be grapes, is because it's a wine. <laughs> but the question. The wassels are often ciders, right? So they're you know, like a like ciders. They're they're mostly spices, extra spices involved. So I can definitely taste a lot of cinnamon. Um, in there, I believe there is some nutmeg. I could be wrong. Um, and I, I honestly, I wish it had said more on its labels, but it does not say much more about whether there's, you know, cherry or, or what else is in there, but it is, it is fairly fragrant. Um, thankfully it is not like eating a Christmas tree, which someone warned me it might be. It's not, it's more like drinking a cider. And how do they know what eating the Christmas tree is like? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I, must... I would check with him. If you ever get cereal and you see, it looks like needles on the top. Right. I would be careful. Well, I do have to say one of the funniest pieces is, as we end here, um, I my my husband loved the pine scents. Um, so you know, you get the sprays, the the whatever sprays. You have for one your, hanging from his car mirror. Uh, yes, and and I really, it was so strong. It really felt like I was eating a Christmas tree. Um, so I had to tell him, I was like, look, we have got to find another scent. It doesn't have to be fruity. It doesn't have to be girly, but it has to be something other than a pine tree. I just can't take it. <laughs> um, but as a final announcement, um, for the weekly wine, we are hosted, um, and basically supported by the law unscripted. Um, the Law Inscripted is a company we offer um, bar review and law exam review classes um, and the two podcasts. So we have the Legal Weekly Wine and the Law Inscripted podcast, and we support everything about the law and the legal system that you never knew, you never understood, and no one ever told you. So what we're trying to do is take an approach of the, um, not necessarily just a professor, but practicing attorney and a law student and Dr. Vile, who are putting together a program for the eight core subjects of the bar that are often done as well during the first year of law exams and law classes. So we've put that together. It is a supplemental course class, um, exam class, and that is available as we speak um, through the lawinscripted.com. You can find all of those courses there. They're offered individually a la carte. So if you just want a school outline, if you just want a lecture, you can pick and choose as needed. You can get an entire coursework or you can get the entirety through the all access pass. But that is up and running. We're excited about it. We hope that it helps, especially our law students, even some of our undergrad students who are interested in mock trials and evidence classes and and uh, here's to the new year with the full start of 
the company. So yeah, a pause there, but congrats. And, and Dr. Vile, thank you for your help and support in there. Um, if you want to get a, a look at Dr. Vile and I speaking, um, you can go to the constitutional law video reviews um, in the Law Unscripted series. And that's where Dr. Vile walks us through the entire constitution from the preamble, not even just Article 1, but the preamble all the way through the 27th Amendment, including case law, um, which was tremendously done. So if you're looking for more of the constitutional side of it, even those outside of the law schools, um, that is definitely a good course to take through that walkthrough of how it was created, what it was created to do, and the cases that have continued to define and explain our constitution and amendments. So thank you, Dr. Vile, and cheers to us, the Legal Weekly Wine, the Law Unscripted, to you, to me, and to the new year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And may we'll, you not rot in hell. <laughs> yes, may you not. <laughs> may we find peace on earth. <laughs> and wishing you such peace and comfort and joy in the new year for yourselves, for our nation, and for the world. Happy New Year, and we'll catch you next time on The Legal Weekly Wine.